You're listening to Doula Stories, a podcast where we use storytelling to encourage, inform, and love on doulas. Each episode, we'll hear a story about what happens in the birth room from the doula's perspective. I'm Kelia, she, they. And I'm Ajira, she, they. And we're so glad you could join us for today's story. Today, we're actually hearing from a guest who we recently had on the show, Hannah Grace Lehman, who is a doula in occupied Lenape land in what is now known as Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And we're really glad to have her back so soon because when we first recorded her story about Lily, which is a few episodes ago, she mentioned this story we're going to hear today. And we were really excited. We knew we had to feature it soon because it's so relevant as we're in the midst of COVID-19 and people are switching up their birthing preferences and where they want to give birth and everything. But I'll let Hannah tell the story. Yeah. Um, My name is Hannah. I use she, they pronouns. Um, I currently reside in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And as Kelia said, this is occupied Lenape territory. But my ancestors are actually from the Philippines and, and two primary regions, the Zambales Mountains, and then Ilocosur, um, which is just about 10 hours north of Manila. Cool. And Ajira, do you have a doula-related question for Hannah? What's your favorite thing to wear to a birth? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Let's see. Favorite thing to wear. Actually, as you asked that question, Ajira, I just realized I'm like very particular about the undies I wear. Really? Well, because they have to be really comfortable. Yeah. Mm, That makes sense. Like I'm not wearing a lacy thong to a birth. I actually have very strong memories of doing that once. And every time I went to the bathroom, I was like, I mean, I look great, but this is not what I need right now. I mean, I look great. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think I've worn lacy undies for a while. All my underwear is comfortable. Yeah, I think maybe that's just a shift we're making as we get older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Breathable. <laughs> Granny panties are my favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I So I like wearing hoodies because they have pockets. I just like comfortable clothing. Mm-hmm. Anything that has extra pockets, I can throw my yeah. phone in there or my chapstick or a snack or something. I've thrown I've thrown snacks in like the hood of the hoodie too. Mm-hmm. That's a great place too. That's what, actually what I usually tell my birth partners to do. Like if we have to go into the OR, like wear your hoodie because you can always throw your phone in there and easily access for pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. So where would you like to start with this story, Hannah? Um, so Annalise was a friend of mine, is a friend of mine, um, and we've been a f- been friends for a few years. And before she was even pregnant, she asked me to be her doula. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, uh, you might change your mind once you get pregnant. You know, you never like hold people to those things, right? So right. Things change once you get pregnant. Um, or like, you'll be my maid of honor, you say to your 10th grade best friend. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, she, we talked about it, you know, jokingly. She's like, you know, if I ever have a baby, like you're going to be there. Right. Okay. That's great. I'd love to. Um, And then she did get pregnant and she just kind of said, so I'm not going to be partaking in any of those, you know, wine drinking nights because (laughs) uh, (laughs) I am carrying a child. (laughs) Um, And so that was, you know, we were all excited for her. It's so fun to work with clients from early in their pregnancy, uh, Mm. because you just, you know, so much of the doula, I guess the strength of the doula role is from the trust you develop. And Mm. you just, we just had a lot of time to do that. So I was really looking forward to that. 
And then, you know, her pregnancy progressed. We started doing more prenatal visits. She was having a lot of pain during pregnancy. So she had a lot of pelvic pain. She used to be a professional dancer. And so if you're a dancer or a gymnast, your body, you know, kind of bears the scars of that. And so, you know, that was playing into her pregnancy. So lots of pain physically. And then also she was experiencing prenatal depression mm-hmm. and anxiety. And it was a really hard season, hard and long season of pregnancy. Yeah. Because you were her friend, what was that like to support her through all of those experiences while wearing your doula hat versus your friend hat? Do you know what I mean? I guess, you know, in all honesty, behind the not making an assumption that I was going to be at her birth was kind of like, maybe she'll choose not to have me at her birth because Mm -hmm. it actually is a lot too. It's, It's a different relationship to be with a friend. And I knew how much more I'd be kind of wrapped up in everything and the outcomes yeah, and emotionally invested in her whole pregnancy. And I knew that there was kind of a difference in the role between the doula and the friend and was kind of hoping that I'd be able to do both well. Yeah. I actually know some doulas who flat out refuse to support friends through their births for exactly this reason, because it can be so challenging to navigate that line. Yeah. And so, I mean, in the end, you can't completely create boundaries between your roles. Like you can't bifurcate yourself. Um, And I I think like all doulas have to make this decision, right? Like if your gut does not say like, this is the right thing to do, then don't do it and Mm -hmm. find other ways to support them. Right. But I think in general, my gut said, this is a good thing to do. You should do it. Mm -hmm. Even if you have some butterflies about it, you know? Mm -hmm. I think most people at this point are familiar with the idea of postpartum depression But I imagine there may be a fair number of listeners who haven't heard of prenatal depression. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, what symptoms was your friend experiencing? To be honest, when we, you know, tried to process some of it or just talk through it, sometimes she'd be like, I don't even have words for Mm -hmm. why this doesn't logically make sense. You know, and that was one of the things that, you know, was hard to deal with because like, you know, in a lot of ways, depression and anxiety can grab you and it can feel like totally unreasonable. Right. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't invalidate what you're feeling. It's just, it's come for you um, in a way. Mm. I feel like it's similar to postpartum depression in that there's a lot of pressure on pregnant people to just be glowing and excited all the time. Yeah. I think you're right. She's like, my normal is usually up here. Like when I, you know, listen to my favorite music, you know, she was just noticing that her normal had dropped so far. Mm. And she just couldn't connect to what was happening. And that was what she hoped for. Mm -hmm. Because she was in so much pain physically, that was also hard. It's hard to be in your body when you're in pain. Yeah. I also want to name that it's not uncommon for pregnant people to not feel the stereotypical glowy, happy, skippy, joy, joy, joy that were sold as the norm for pregnancy. The spectrum of it is quite wide. So not feeling super excited or super connected is not necessarily a symptom of depression, but it's definitely something to pay attention to and see what else is coming up for you. Yeah, I think that's a really great clarification. I think it was just for her what signaled to her that like, hmm, something is different right now in my body and in how I'm reacting to this. So I think that's a really good clarification, though. I'm so glad she was able to see it, though, and really see on her own gauge that it was off, you know? Yeah, she's amazing. (laughs) 
<laughs> I really respect her. <laughs> yeah, um, I can't wait to hear more about her and how she faced the situation. Mm -hmm. So during your conversations with her while she was pregnant, did you already have a sense for what kind of a birth experience she wanted? Yeah, she was hoping for, you know, a natural labor, but wanted to be in the hospital. And by natural, do you mean unmedicated? Yeah, she wanted unmedicated birth. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then in a hospital setting, and then she chose to work with the midwives. Mm. So she knew that that was one of the ways that she could make choices that would get her closer to what her preferences were. And there were only, I think, three or four midwives in the practice. So she got to meet all of them during that time. We even went to like one of the midwives, kind of like meet and greet midwives workshops together um, with her partner and, you know, got to ask all the questions about what the options were. Because it was actually my first birth that was in Jersey. I'm in PA and New Jersey's not too far. Mm -hmm. So um, I was kind of learning the ropes at that particular hospital and what the options were too. Yeah. So tell us about what was changing in the world around that time. <laughs> sure. So um, right at the end of her pregnancy, during her 39th, beginning of the 40th week, um, COVID-19 uh, was found in New Jersey. And things started changing pretty rapidly. Policies were even changing, you know, day to day. And then mm -hmm. it started hour to hour. So we were both kind of like constantly refreshing policy pages, like checking our email to see, you know, what was going on, checking social media. And we were seeing like in New York City, even sometimes people were needing to birth by themselves mm -hmm. or being forced to birth by themselves. And so there was kind of this fear of that happening. Then there were some pockets where like, you know, for three days they would allow doulas and then or like for a 24 hour period, they'd allow doulas and they changed the policy back. And so right. it was just kind of a shocking time, I think, for everyone. And I think we kind of both went into a, a few days of denial. We're like, this can't be happening. <laughs> We've been on this journey together for months now and like so looking forward to this and whether or not it's just looking forward to pregnancy being done or looking forward to the birth, you know, mm -hmm. we've put so much preparation into this. This can't be happening, you know, because like even without being pregnant, I think a lot of us were in denial about the pandemic, right? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of our coping mechanisms. It's that denial bone that you were telling us about last time. Oh, yeah. That denial bone is strong. <laughs> <laughs> And so we waited for, you know, three days and I, you know, didn't want to push anything. Um, and Annalise is actually a very proactive person. And so I thought, well, you know, she'll probably reach out today or tomorrow and we'll talk about um, what our options are. And then by Tuesday, I think of her 40th week, I decided I was like, I think I need to go up there because like at this point they're saying stay at home, yada, yada, yada. But I was like, mm -hmm. I think we need to talk in person. Um, this is a really big deal. And so I went up to see her and just to talk through some options and see where she was. Um, and I walk in and, you know, she's sitting there watching the news, doing a puzzle, sitting on her birth ball, you know, trying to get into it seemed like. Aww kind of a chill mode, you know, just like trying to stay the course. Ugh. I spent, I think, most of the day there just talking with them. Her mom had come in, you know, a few days before. And, you know, just a few days ago, the big worry was like, will mom get here in time? <laughs> and now we're, you know, facing this global pandemic. And so we spent a long time just talking through what the options might be, what, especially trying just to get it. Like, what do you value about your birth experience uh, that you know, we can hold on to no matter what the scenario ends up being, 
right? So just kind of clarifying, clarifying her values and then talking through like, hey, you know, there is the option of home birth. These are the things that, you know, you would need to do to kind of explore that. You know, she showed me her nursery. You know, that's like the place where, you know, you kind of mm. nest and like prepare for the baby. And I remember being in there just like looking at quilts and whatnot. And then her mom came in and we kind of talked about how it was really important to her to have her team with her, right? To be able to have her mom there, to be able to have her partner there, to be able to have me there. Um, and that was a really, really important piece for her. And so, you know, that kind of tipped the scales towards home birth. And then secondly, feeling like the hospitals maybe weren't, you know, the safest places to be. Possibly that's where, you know, you'd be exposed to the virus or something. There was just a lot of unknown at that point. And so in the end, she decided to kind of explore the idea of the home birth. We actually talked with a really great midwife that day. Um, her name is Sam Magpy of Magpy Midwifery. And we'll put all that information in the show notes in case anybody wants to follow up with these people. Yeah, Sam is great. And I remember being on the call with her and her just reminding us that we have to trust birth, right? That you know, your body and your baby know how to do this. And she just had a really calming presence and was willing to kind of talk through all the questions that Annalise and Damien had uh, about mm. home birth because it hadn't really been something they had explored before and just kind of trying to figure out, is this the right option for us? And in the end, you know, she took a few days to think about it. And of course, I'm over here. I go back to Philly and I'm like on pins and needles. I'm like, ah, what are you going to decide? How is this going to go? <laughs> yeah. um, and also just like, I just felt like in my spirit, I was like, can I will these policies to change? Maybe tomorrow they'll change, you know, or maybe I'll be able to sneak into this little window or maybe we'll accidentally just have a baby at home, you know, because we'll labor at home until, you know, she can go in. Um, so I'm just going through all the possibilities in my head, trying to like will the world in our favor. Yeah, I, I feel like for how many times I've had that conversation with parents of like, what would a home birth look like, then the number who are actually interested is so slim. And then the number who actually want to talk to a midwife is so slim. And the whole time I'm crossing my fingers of like, oh, I really think this would be a good fit for this family or not. I mean, at this point, Annalise is what, 40 weeks pregnant? Yeah, she's in the middle of her 40th week of pregnancy. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> yeah, right. Which like, you know... It still could be a week and a half, you know, especially with the pandemic happening. No babies were like, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I give her her space, right? Because like, it's not my birth. But like when you're, it's your friend and you care so much about them and that their birth goes well, it's so hard to like restrain yourself. But like I, you know, I give myself a pat on the back for just kind of chilling out and waiting. And then, you know, a few days pass. I think we get into our 41st week of pregnancy, right? And I say we because it felt like we were like very much in this together. I am connected to them for life because of this. But it's her 41st week of pregnancy. And, you know, she texts me in the morning and says, we've decided on a home birth. But the midwife can't actually attend a birth in New Jersey if you transfer after your 37th week. So this birth is now taking place at my house in Philadelphia. <laughs> As in Hannah's house. As in my house. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, which we were totally fine with. Like, you know, we had offered it before. And as soon as she says this, I take a picture of my living room and I needed to fill space too and like process through everything that was going on. So I like totally repositioned all the furniture in my downstairs and I happened 
to make a space for a birth tub. A late, yeah, it was crazy. So like it was late, late at night. I was like kind of not freaking out, but like feeling some anxiety over Annalise's coming birth and what was going on. And I was just like, I need to move. I need to do something, but it's quarantine. So I can't go outside. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to re, you know, revamp the living room and just move everything around and get some of the steam out. And I tried something out. West didn't really like it, but it was too late at night at that point. Wes being your your partner. Yeah, Wes is my partner. Um, and, you know, he always kind of, he's he's very nice. He'll go along with me trying to like change things up. Um, but what I ended up creating was this awkward space in the middle of our row home. And it was not like really good for anything. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's like, you know, 1 a.m. now. Let's just go to bed and we'll, you know, let it sit overnight and we'll, we'll figure this out. But what ended up happening is I created a perfect space for a birth tub. And so after she, you know, I didn't text that to her that night because, you know, I didn't want to like lead her. But when she said, I think we're going to do a home birth, I was like, hey, I made a space for a birth tub. (laughs) Just happened to. So that was that was fun. And we started kind of feeling hopeful again, you know, like, okay, we have some options and now we can actively prepare for this change. Right. And, you know, we did have some conversations, you know, about like, how do we make this kind of decision well? So one of the things, you know, we were thinking about was we don't want to make a decision out of fear, right? Mm -hmm. That should never be the reason that you're doing a home birth. Mm -hmm. But out of what do I value? What do I care about? What is my gut saying? We don't want that. And I think, you know, she ended up being a really good candidate because she didn't want an epidural anyway. She didn't really want any of the medical interventions that were offered. And so in the end, doing a home birth didn't change her overall hopes and dreams for her birth. Yeah. So in that way, it ended up being a really good option for her. I'm so glad you mentioned the part about processing through the fear was was needed and a good thing to do to kind of get grounded in your choice to give birth at home because it is a different thing. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think another piece of the decision-making that was important was figuring out the finances because when you make these kinds of shifts, it can be like an extra thousands of dollars, right? And so finding a midwife that was, you know, willing to kind of work with their budget and calling their insurance agents, uh, figure out what could be covered and what all of the transfer options would be. Like if she's transferring from New Jersey, you know, and then having a birth in Philadelphia, she might not transfer to her old hospital. We'd have to figure out which hospital she would be able to transfer to Um, in the case of that in Philadelphia and if her insurance would take it and if they can afford that. And so, you know, props to Annalise and Damien for making all those phone calls and like doing like a ridiculously thorough job of figuring this stuff out um, with Mm. just having a few days. But that is a real piece of trying to make a decision about whether or not to transfer. Mm -hmm. So you have this news that a birth is going to be happening in your home at any moment, really. What do you do next? Yeah. So when we found out that this birth was happening at our house, I felt like I just kind of jolted into action (laughs) um, and Mm -hmm. kind of rallied Wes to help me out with um, certain things. So a lot of adrenaline, I, you know, was like, okay, the first thing I need to do is find a birth tub because that's something that Annalise really wants. And our church community actually had a birth tub. So I like put it out to our listserv and they're like, actually, this is what we use for baptisms. I'm like, what? Oh, that's great. (laughs) We just happened to have a birth tub. And they said, we've always wanted a birth to happen in this. And I was like, great. And they're very much about sharing and all the resources in the community are shared. And so this is one of those resources. And so I got to 
practice like setting it up um, on our floor. I said, Wes, I, we needed to find a birth liner, like a birth pool liner, mm-hmm. and went through trying to figure out where can we order one that, you know, will rush delivery because, you know, we're in our 41st week here. So <laughs> it needs to get yeah. here quickly. Like maybe somebody else in Philly has one. So you now I'm like calling around and emailing a lot to try to find a, a birth pool liner, find one in Maryland. And so Wes drives down to Maryland to pick it up. And so he got that because he also is really close friends with Annalise. And so was very willing to just kind of jump into action to make this happen. Well, this is also a perfect example of how a birth worker takes a village in and of themselves. Like we are all sustained by other birth workers and many of us by partners or people we live with because it just is a really demanding job. Like, of course, your partner was chipping in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you know, we worked together to set the birth pool up and we knew we needed to like somehow disconnect our laundry machine so that we could get like hot and cold water easily into the tub Mm. inside and whatnot. So we figured out that our taps are backwards in in our laundry machine. It was it was quite a journey, but we did figure it out and everything was set up. I recocked our bathtub upstairs (laughs) I knew that like it's possible like if I was having a baby in this house, I would just lock myself in the actual bathroom. (laughs) So like I made sure that was very clean and, you know, re-cocked it. And then we cleaned our whole house, changed the sheets. We went out and got big garbage bags and like a shower curtain to like put underneath the bed, waterproofing everything, making sure, you know, we had whatever foods or we kind of got got the house ready and got kind of a plan of action. Like when she went into labor, Wes would, you know, walk down the street to this other neighbor's house and this was the code to get into their house and blah, 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 blah. Mm. You know, we kind of moved right into action for about, yeah, I'd say 36 hours to prepare everything. Because <laughs> at that point, it could literally happen at any point, you know, especially once you've like made a decision that, right. you know, this is what's going to happen. A lot of times the baby comes not long after that. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's like once childcare is figured out for the other kids or once the dog has a dog sitter, whatever that last little thing is, and then suddenly oxytocin comes flooding. I also just wanted to name that all this preparation is amazing in an ideal situation, but you don't need to have all these things, right? If you ask any home birth midwife, they'll say, I've helped babies be born in every room of the house, in the closet, in the bathroom, like many birthers want small enclosed spaces anyway. So I remind a lot of my clients who are interested in home birth, they're like, I don't have the space for it. I don't know where I'd put the birth tub. I remind them that they don't need any of those things that you can have a home birth in a closet if you want to. Yeah, totally. Totally. I think some of all of this was like me as her friend wanting to do everything I could to get her the birth mm-hmm. that she hoped for. Yeah. So in some ways it was kind of like the emotional investment was there. I was like, I'm just going to do everything I can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's amazing. And ideally everybody has this kind of situation, this kind of setup. It almost sounds like because you had said earlier that you were pregnant alongside them. It's like this was your nesting phase. That's what I was going to say. It sounded like you were nesting. Oh. It was really cute. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, lots of people wind up setting up that stuff. And then not using it. Mm-hmm. So I also encourage folks to give yourself lots of grace and just really trust that your instincts will lead you where you need to be. And it's okay if you get the tub and never use it. You can enjoy it as a jacuzzi beforehand mm. or let your family enjoy it as a jacuzzi afterwards because you're not getting in a tub for a minute. Yeah. 
That's a great idea. I've never thought of using the birth tub for more than just a birth. <laughs> In situations that we can't control, I feel like you kind of move to things you can. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like okay, this is the this is the thing that I can do in this time. Mm-hmm. So this is just a matter of days at this point, right? So Tuesday was the day that I went up there to kind of have these conversations to talk with the midwife. Wednesday is the day that she actually decided, and we kind of jumped into action. Thursday, they come over for dinner that night to kind of just be in the space and Mm -hmm. kind of settle themselves because she had a hospital tour, right? But she hadn't really spent much time in my house, actually. And so, you know, they came over, we had dinner together and kind of just went on waiting. And then that night, you know, we're getting to the end of her 41st week, right? So like this baby's coming at any point now. And Wes and I move into our middle bedroom, we have like this pull-out couch thing. So we we sleep in there. And then um, at 7 a.m. that morning, I get a call from her, you know, and I, I kind of hear it in her voice that something is not okay. And she says, you know, I think my water broke and the fluid is dark brown, um, which means typically that there is meconium in the fluid. That means the baby had their first poop, um, which can just be that the baby, you know, is older gestationally. So, you know, mm-hmm. she's already in the middle of her 41st week of pregnancy. It's very likely that the baby has had their first poop at that point. But it also could be a sign that, you know, the baby was agitated or unwell or something, you know, was a little off and it might need um, some more attention from medical providers. And it could have been that, like, the baby got stressed for, you know, a few minutes and then, you know, pooped and then everything was fine, right? Or, her baby had been breached for a while, and so maybe during the flipping activities got a little agitated and pooped, you know? So there's just a lot of things this could mean, but it also, for some home birth midwives, is a reason to transfer to make sure that everything is okay. Yeah, and again, something that differs immensely depending on your midwife and on the state where you're giving birth. Right. I encourage her to call um, her home birth midwife, Sam, to kind of check in and see what she thinks the plan of action should be. So she goes ahead and, and does that. And Sam says, I feel like um, this is a good reason for you to continue you know, with your hospital birth plan because the likelihood of transferring has gone up. And so then both financial considerations of having to pay both the home birth midwives and the hospital and having to go through a transfer and whatnot. She didn't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. with doing the home birth at that point. Right. And so, yeah, this is just a whole conversation between all the midwives and Annalise and Damien to try to figure out, you know, what the next steps were. So I think Annalise agreed. And then she had not canceled any of her appointments with the midwives at the hospital. And so she went in for her, you know, 9 a.m. appointment and they encouraged her to stay um, and be induced. Oh, and you are aware of this as it's happening? Yeah. So she called me back after she talked to Sam and, you know, said that Sam, you know, encouraged her to continue with her original plan. And then I was just kind of, you know, waiting to hear what was going on and, you know, what she wanted from me. And at that point, you know, not even Damien, which is Annalise's partner, could come into the prenatal appointment with her to talk with the midwives. And I know that was really hard for her because she didn't, you know, have anyone in the room with her. Um, she, in many ways, like begged, like, 
you know, my, my doula has been, you know, quarantined, you know, for the last two weeks, you know, she hasn't gone out. Like I have prenatal depression and anxiety. Like this kind of support is serious for me. You know, she tried to make her case mm-hmm. and they, you know, still wouldn't acquiesce to her request at that point. So you're having to switch gears then from this beautiful space and this adrenaline rush and nesting urges and envisioning this beautiful home birth in your home and all these plans you've set up to now knowing that your client and friend is by themselves and you're trying to provide virtual care now. Like That's what your doula role is looking like, right? Right. And I hadn't really done that before. So like my heart just sunk that morning after that phone call. Um, mm. But I knew that we still needed to push through, right? Like this baby is still coming and you know, I had to take some deep breaths and, you know, keep taking one step at a time. She called me. So Annalise called me after her appointment and, you know, we talked through it and, you know, talked to her options of like, you can go home for a bit and then go in when you, you want to. And so she decided that, you know, she, she <laughs> it's funny. I love her. She had packed a bag because she's super responsible. It was like in her car, but she told them that she didn't mm-hmm. so that she could go home <laughs> and like get yes. her stuff and whatnot. So I think she like then got to go home and have a meal and, you know, shower and whatnot. So I think, you know, it's an important thing to remember when it feels like everything is out of your control that like you can still do things that maybe weren't your ideal birth scenario, but in like a humane way where you like get enough to eat and you take some time for yourself and you mm. shower. You know, those kinds of things can, I think, really change one's perception of their birth experience. Mm-hmm. So she's getting ready to go to the hospital and I'm kind of collecting myself at home in Philadelphia, um, trying to figure out like, what does this mean? Kind of going through all the scenarios in my own head, right? Of what could happen mm-hmm. and how to do this well. Like, how to prep them for this, like something that I haven't done before, right? Had you talked to them about this? Like if I end up needing to support you virtually, here's the platform we should use. Do you have, you know, earbuds that you can put in? So very briefly, right? Because this all Mm. happened very quickly. Mm. (laughs) You know, it all happened really quickly. And so we, you know, briefly said, you know, we'll use FaceTime, And I knew that she had headphones. And so we would, you know, use a variety of that and that her partner, her partner is very easygoing. So like, it's going to be fine. It'll be great. We can do this. Um, So I actually ended up being pretty good energy when it felt like crisis time was coming Mm -hmm. or upon us. Um, And so we kind of settled on FaceTime as the, yeah what do you call it, app we would use? I'm an Android user myself, and my clients are always annoyed that I don't have FaceTime. (laughs) But I'm so happy with my Pixel. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. If you had one, you'd understand. Yeah, I'm just annoyed that we have to have so many different texting apps and stuff. I'm like, why can't we just be more uniform? (sighs) Um, But yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely a question to ask and talk about ahead of time. If you now we're still in this pandemic time. And if you're doing a prenatal with a client, that's definitely something to talk through, right? Like, Mm -hmm. do you want me just in your ears? Do you want to set me up on a computer? Yeah. 
do you having want a, backup a screen platform. or do you just want my voice? Ha- yeah, absolutely having a backup platform. But we were um, some in some ways kind of just flying by the seat of our pants. And, you which know, is okay which too. Is okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, just I am feeling quite emotionally crushed at this point and like trying to do everything that I can to gather myself. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I... I remember the kind of the voices in my head just being like, oh my gosh, you invested so much of yourself. Like I, I, I risked enough to hope, you know, that, you know, this home birth could happen. Right. And then invested so much of my like time and energy into that nesting process. And then kind of felt like, you know, that hope was kind of snatched in a moment. Mm-hmm. And that's harder when it's your friends. You know, you just love them mm-hmm. so much. It's not that we don't love our other clients. It's just that we've had history here. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I'm kind of trying to pick myself up too from that as she's, you know, going ahead and checking in. And then, you know, I reminded myself that, hey, this isn't actually the first time you've, you know, done virtual labor support. We have to do this every time, you know, we have clients that are in early labor, right? And mm-hmm. it's not quite time um, for the doula to be there, but they still you know, need some support. So I kind of like approach the first part of this induction in that way, you know, so like call me every few hours, whenever you need me. If you have any questions, you want to talk through decisions, you want some suggestions for comfort measures, you know, if what you're feeling feels like it's changing or whenever you want me to be, you know, stably and continuously on the phone with you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they they called me and showed me around the room when they got there. And, and you know, I think they decided to start watching some, you know, fun TV shows or something like that. And um, as they were kind of just getting settled um, into their space, which I think is really good. I think doing whatever you can do to kind of remind yourself that it's your space, it's your birth, it's your body. I think location really matters. And, you know, one thing we you know, take for granted sometimes with home birth is that it's already your space, right? And you have to kind of do the same kind of nesting, I think, when you get to a hospital space, whatever that means for you. That could just mean taking grounding breaths and reminding yourselves of these things. Yeah. Or maybe it means watching your favorite show or, you know, setting up a picture of your loved one there. But so she took some time to do that, which I think was good. Um, So then we're kind of waiting to hear like which midwife was on um, and what kind of induction process they um, were going to encourage. Mm. And the midwife comes in and says, let's do a cytotec induction. Um, and then she caught herself and said, do you want cytotec or Pitocin? I want you to feel like you have a choice. And in that moment, Annalise chose cytotec. And I could hear my brain ticking, being like, this is not an informed choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, this there was a kind of a lead, if you can hear that, right, in the way that the language um, was used. Like, I want you to feel like you have a choice, right? Right. Um, well, and it sounds like they were pressuring her to start whichever method she chose immediately instead of the other choice, which is just wait and be monitored and wait for labor to kick in. Right, right. Um, but, you know, she immediately chose side attack and felt good about that you know, choice. Mm-hmm. And so like, who am I to say like, well, that's not what I would do at my birth. Right. Um, of course. And like, I trust her. Right. And she's been through so much at this point. So even though I'm kind of like biting my tongue and a little bit resentful at the midwife at this point for like not really giving her a choice, mm-hmm. um, I didn't feel like it was my place to, you know, step in, in that moment. Um, so she chooses a cytotec and, 
we kind of wait for contractions to to kick in. Um, we get off the phone at that point and are just kind of texting back and forth. And her contractions don't really start, I think, for a good hour, hour and a half, maybe. Um, and then when they do start, you know, as is a common pattern, at least in my experience with Cytotec, that contractions kind of come hot and heavy, right? Mm. So it kind of went from having like no contractions to having contractions every two minutes, right? So not really getting much of a break in between. And then four hours later, they offer her another dose of Cytotec and the midwife says, I think we should start Pitocin. And again, alarm bells are going off in my head. <laughs> like, yeah. Your contractions are already really hard and they're right on top of each other and really that strong. Like dangerous. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not a midwife. You know, I'm not a medical provider, but like, I know that this isn't right. You know, I was trying to be generous in my head, like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe this midwife, you know, is experiencing all the stress of the pandemic too. Right. And, you know, is maybe choosing to do this out of, you know, the policies of the hospital kind of changing really rapidly. And maybe she really wants to get Annalise out of the hospital as fast as possible, um, you know, to limit the exposure or the possible exposure to this virus in the hospital. Right. Um, so things were, you know, were changing and that could have been it or, you know, feeling, you know, maybe she's just a little distracted. It just didn't feel like if, you know, she had been paying attention to Annalise's strip. So, you know, looking at, you know, how close her contractions had been, or even just coming into the room and really paying attention to how much pain Annalise was in at that point. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like that was a fair option to, you know, quote unquote yeah. offer, right? You know, to add Pitocin on top of Cytotec, even like at the point where your contractions are just on top of each other, right? Yeah. Um, and what's your presence in the room like at this point? Like, are you on the phone during this conversation with the midwife? Yeah. So I am on the phone at this point because those contractions are, you know, really strong. So I'm listening, right? It's a little disorienting, I have to say, to like be a screen in the room because you often can't hear everything that's going on. But, um, you know, I did hear this conversation and, you know, we got, you know, some time to to think about it, right? Um, and at this point I had, like, I felt like, I was morally obligated to say, you can say no, right, to like this Pitocin, that like your body's doing exactly what it needs to. And it even hasn't been very long since your last dose of Cytotec. Um, So you can also just see where things go, but really just kind of telling her that your body's body's doing it, right? (laughs) Like this Mm -hmm. is, you know, going in the right direction. You know, you don't have to do this. Annalise was in a lot of pain, so I think she agreed with that um, <laughs> assessment. Go, Annalise. I oh, know, I know. She's like, oh, this is not fair. Um, and then I think we just kind of ended up waiting it out, right? So a lot of times the way you get what you want is just by waiting it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, stay the course. Right, just stay the course. And so at a certain point, um, Annalise is getting really tired and just kind of wants to take the edge off. And so opts to use Stadol, which is a medication that can kind of make you feel like you have had one too many drinks. You just, the contractions are so they just don't care as much. Um, And so she just really needed a rest. And we kind of hoped that this would give her at least a little bit of a break. Because if you know anything about birth, having contractions like, you know, one and a half to two minutes apart 
that are strong, that's what we call like transition. That's supposed to be like right at the end of your labor, not the very beginning of your labor. Um, but sometimes it's common with using drugs like Cytotec. You can, in some ways, your body feels like it's in transition from the beginning. Um, so um, she decided that it was a good idea to you know try this out. And then I think she just needed like a little bit of rest. Um, and she dilated fully. I guess Whoa. it was probably like an hour or two after starting the state all and take, getting oh, a rest. Her body know? was yes. ready, right? She just needed a rest. Just needed to relax. Mm. You know, we got her into one of those um, like side lying positions um, with the peanut ball. Yeah. And that seemed like that worked and the ability to just really relax. Um, so she started feeling pushy. And then I was like, Hey, this might be a good time to go, you know, use the restroom. Cause you know, you think about, yeah, eh, you always think about sending them to the, to the bathroom or to the toilet when, you know, you kind of need to make those last, you know, that last half centimeter kind of like help bring the baby down because we're so used to letting go when we go to on the mm. toilet and we're just sitting there can be helpful. Um, I've heard it called the dilation station. Before. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, that's so great. Love laboring on the mm-hmm. toilet. Although like I definitely feel the anxiety in the room from like the medical providers rise oh, whenever yeah. <laughs> we go to the toilet. <laughs> you know, like even if you you know, know push like ones on the toilet, they're like, ah, they're <laughs> so scared of a toilet baby. I'm like, come on, you just brush them off. They're fine. Yeah, it's helpful. Yeah. It's so helpful. <laughs> um, so yeah. She dilates really smoothly and then goes to the bathroom and starts feeling really pushy on the toilet, right? Um, And then, of course, kind of is asked to get back into the bed, you know, tries to hang out there as long (laughs) as possible, but we eventually go back to the bed. Um, And again, these contractions are still coming really frequently. Um, And so she starts pushing because she's feeling that urge to push. But then I start, you know, it's kind of discombobulating to be on the phone and you're here trying to listen for all the side conversations that are happening, but it's not always possible. Um, But I do start hearing that the baby is starting to have some decelerations in the heart rate. Um, And I could, I could tell, even though I was on the phone, that kind of the tension and fear was kind of rising um, in the room, even though I wasn't actually physically present there. Yeah. And you, were you able to communicate with Annalise from wherever the phone was? Yeah. So by the time, you know, we're in this like hot and heavy labor situation, I am like right by her head on the phone. So mostly Annalise is like the one that can hear me. Um, And so I'm right by her head um, as she's pushing, kind of just giving, you know, encouragement and whatnot. And then I start hearing about these, you know, D cells and I'm like, no, please no. But sometimes, you know, really aggressive inductions can cause the babies to kind of have some of these decelerations that are, you know, not the same kind of normal lowering of the heart rate that you get when you're just pushing, right? Because we do know that the heart rate goes goes up and down um, when we're pushing, um, but these were looking a little bit more severe, right? Um, And so I hear like whisper in the background, like vacuum, vacuum. And I'm like, oh, okay, something's something's going on, right? So I whisper in Annalise's ear. I'm like, I think that they want to use the vacuum. And she's like kind of in the zone, right? So she's I don't even know if anyone really hears a whole lot when they're pushing, right? They get so focused. Um, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to make sure that like she heard what was going on, right? So I said, Annalise, I think they want to use the vacuum. Push, get him out, get him out now. Um, and from then I just like, it was like the worst horror movie that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I'm just hearing her scream 
right? Like the screen is blurry, like the bed is kind of moving. Um, and like, and then the baby comes out. And so what I'm imagining, I can't really see exactly what's going on, right? So I'm imagining them like yanking this baby out of her, right? And that's mm-hmm. what her like screams of pain <laughs> were, um, which is just like gut-wrenching and so painful even mm-hmm. as a doula to hear. And especially, mm-hmm. you know, you think about experience, like I I did feel like I experienced some form of like adjacent trauma in this birth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because often trauma happens when you see or experience something that's horrific, that's really terrifying, and you feel like you can't do anything about it. And that is it feels like it's a really common experience with this kind of virtual doula support because you're one more step removed um, mm-hmm. from being able to even just hold that person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really hard, really hard to hear. It's like the middle of the night at this point. Um, and then the baby comes out and I get to see the baby and, um, you know, she's glowing and, you know, smiling and it's over, you know. Annalise's. Annalise's, right? Okay. Um, and, you know, we're just celebrating in that moment that, like, this really mm. hard pregnancy is done and, you know, she did it. Um, so then, you know, we don't – it's not time to, like, process right then, right? Like, we're just kind of, like, trying to bask in, you know, that moment of birth. Um, and then eventually, you know, not too long after that, kind of get off the phone. And as soon as, you know, I get off the phone – just minutes later, I just start sobbing and just keep saying like, it doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be like this. And I remember just like crawling into Wes's arms and just crying. And I'm like crying right now thinking about it because it just felt like this is not okay. Like you, your bodies can't be treated like this, you know? So, yeah. And just, yeah. 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 It was just a feeling of like hopelessness, I think, in that moment and everything that I had been carrying emotionally throughout that whole pregnancy and labor. Just I finally could let it go because the baby was here. Um Yeah. And yeah, I just think that like as doulas, knowing how things could be means that it hurts more when it doesn't go that way. And I just felt I felt really tender in that moment. Yeah. I completely relate to that. I my, my post-birth ritual is I get into the shower and cry no matter what happened. It's just this release. It's it's like in labor, right? You just need to find that moment and thank you for sharing that because it's so relatable. <laughs> um the number of times I've come home and had my partner's arms wrapped around me and just cried. And now that is just like exactly the medicine I need right then. Yeah. Um, and, and the difficulty of not being able to process that with the birthing person, you know, the person who shared that experience with you, who knows exactly what it looked like in there. So tell us about when you got to see Annalise again, or when you got to connect with her again and what it was like to hear about her experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a week or so later, I go to her home to have our postpartum visit and to, you know, talk through her birth story. And I just ask her to share, you know. Um, and she gets to the end of her birth story and she never mentions the vacuum. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, did I miss that? What happened? Um, and then I asked her, I'm like, did they use the vacuum? And she said, no. When, you know, I heard from you that 
they were thinking about using the vacuum and to push, I did. And I got him out. That was what the screaming <laughs> was. That was what, like, and that scream turned into like a roar, <laughs> right? She was oh roaring her baby out. Um, and I, again, just start bawling because I'm still in this like tender oh. place of like, how are we going to process all of this, you know, trauma? Um, but that was like a really redemptive moment, you know, retelling mm-hmm. of that story. And hearing her say that was really healing for me. Hmm. So. Oh, Annalise, you're such a badass. Yeah, she is. Annalise is a badass. You're a badass. Mm. I love that you named that feeling of, you know, this is not okay, because I think I have that experience frequently supporting folks in the hospital. And I really sometimes struggle not to just feel completely um, hopeless about a system that calls itself, you know, healing and yet doesn't seem to take into consideration how many of us are out here, you know, feeling that way and thinking that way about the experience of being there for something like this, something so sacred. I'm really glad you got that redemptive moment for both of you. Mm. And I'm really glad that she got to roar her baby out, even with everything going on. Yeah. I love those roars. Mm. But maybe that's just because I'm a roarer myself. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to share about what this experience was like for you? I mean, I learned a lot from doing this birth virtually. The first part of it felt a lot like early labor, where you're kind of checking in every few hours and kind of letting them know, like, these are the things you should, you know, call me about. Like, call me if you're trying to make a decision or call me if, you know, you have any questions or you want some ideas for comfort measures or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you just kind of check in until you're really needed. Once I got on the continuous stream, I had a lot of, you know, you have some anticipation for it, but then once you get on it, some of it kind of dissipates, right? Because like once you get in the birth room, you're like, this is birth. Like I know this. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you kind of move more into, you know, coaching their breath and doing some reminders of like, hey, maybe you should, do you want something to drink? You know, do you want a bite of something? You know, so you kind of move back into that role. You're just a voice or a head on a screen, right? Mm I did find that being on virtual support was like equally draining to being there in person, Mm. um, even though I was in my home, right? Like you think about having like a Zoom call and, you know, one hour is even a lot on Zoom and then a birth can be a lot on Zoom. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, make sure that you have all the things you need close by, right? Like if that's your coffee or your food or like, you know, it might sound kind of silly, but like I wrapped myself in my um, reboso, this last virtual birth that I had, and it made me felt a lot better. I just felt like it like placed me in a way and grounded me in a way and like tied me to the birth experience because I think it can feel really easy to feel just really disoriented not being there in the room. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So make sure you kind of have everything everything you need um, instead of just jumping right into the virtual birth, right? So sometimes, you know, you you get out of bed and just because you're available right then doesn't mean that you should just jump right on the call as soon as you're called, right? So giving yourself like at least a good 30 to 40 minutes to kind of get set and settled before getting on that birth call can make a world of difference. That's great. Um, so that's helpful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And then also, so I did a little bit of this during her early labor, kind of just writing out some templates of like text that I might send um, or finding good pictures to kind of show what kind of positions might be good. And I put those all in kind of a folder um, so then I could easily and like quickly text them as needed because it can just take a lot of time yeah. and it could take a lot longer to like text something or show something when you really, it's just hard to show positions. For example, you know, I made a template, you know, about like a good way to do a lunge position or things to consider when you're pushing. So it just kind of helped me remember like the rhythms that I needed to go through um, and gave them the information as well in text form so they could refer back to it. So for example, I had a list of, you know, five really helpful things to say during a contraction for the partner. I just texted that, Mm. you know, or like these are ways to ask questions or something like that. So like I had things ready to go or some things ready to go. And then the stuff that I kind of came up with on the fly as we were going through that birth, then I just saved that for future births. That's great. So that that helped me kind of figure out, you know, what this was going to be like. So um, awesome. Yeah. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, definitely helpful. Do you have anything else you'd like to add about processing the whole thing for yourself afterwards? Yeah. You know, I have to give a shout out to to my best friend and doula partner, Cecilia Osowski. Um because I was still grieving a lot over, you know, that week before I saw Annalise again and just taking apart all the things that had kind of put together, like everything it was a reminder of what had not happened, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what hopes had not been realized. And Cecilia and I got to go on a walk and talk through all of that, which was really helpful. And then after that, Cecilia offered to take down the birth tub for me which was really, really helpful because I was just like walking through my house and crying, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, I did, you know, I took apart, like, you know, cleaned up the bed where we had waterproofed it and put away all of, they had brought over a lot of stuff and like kind of gone through the process of kind of putting the house back together. Mm-hmm. And I do think that I was good, but I think like putting the birth tub away would have just like sent me over the edge a little bit. That would have been the hardest. Oh, so, totally. Yeah. Find your people and let them hold you. Hmm. After our interview with Hannah, we were able to get in touch with Annalise and she offered a blessing for Hannah that we could share. So we'll end with this, a blessing from Annalise to Hannah. Hannah, thank you. Thank you for having the courage and encouraging me to trust my body in my birth and my body that I felt betrayed by for a lot of my pregnancy. You helped me redeem that story. Thank you for stepping into fear with me when I know you were also probably afraid because we didn't know what we were facing with this pandemic and the ever-shifting hospital regulations. Thank you for listening to me. 
thank you for teaching Damien and I everything we needed to know throughout the whole process. Um, We trusted you more than anyone else. Thank you um, for taking me on, for being willing to be a doula to one of your closest friends. I wouldn't have wanted anyone else with me and probably wouldn't have allowed anyone else to go on this journey with me. And I needed you. So thank you for not only being my doula, but throwing my baby shower and being my son's godmother and being intertwined and interwoven in so many different aspects of this journey that we have been on. This morning I was reading a quote and it says, no one was born alone. So to be born presupposes relationship, connection, and community. And I love that our son was born into our community and that you and even your partner have been involved since day one. Thank you for being willing to open your home, literally, (laughs) to our birth and being willing and just as gracious when plans went the other way. Thank you. We love you. If anything from today's episode resonated with you, leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. And follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Doula Stories. If you're a doula and you have a story to share, email us at doulastories at gmail.com. This episode was produced by me, Kelia Alder, and our music is by Rick Bassett. Special thanks to Hannah Grace Lehman for sharing her story with us and to Annalise and Damien for allowing Hannah to share your story. If you want to get in touch with Hannah, you can find her on Instagram at philadula, that's at P-H-I-L-A-D-O-U-L-A, and her website is philadula.com. Thanks also to Cameron Sharp and to my drop-dead gorgeous co-host, Ajira Darch.